0: This is section fifteen of the Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, a tale of today by Mark Twain and C. D. Warner. Chapter fifteen. Eli Bolton and his wife talked over Ruth's case, as they had often done before, with no little anxiety. Alone of all their children, she was impatient of the restraints and monotony of the friends' society, and wholly indisposed to accept the inner light as a guide into a life of acceptance and inaction when margaret told her husband of ruth's newest project he did not exhibit so much surprise as she hoped for in fact he said that he did not see why a woman should not enter the medical profession if she felt a call to it but said margaret consider her total inexperience of the world, and her frail health, can such a slight little body endure the ordeal of the preparation for, or the strain of, the practice of the profession? Did thee ever think, Margaret, whether she can endure being thwarted in an object on which she has so set her heart as she has on this? Thee has trained her thyself at home, in her enfeebled childhood, and thee knows how strong her will is and what she has been able to accomplish in self-culture by the simple force of her determination. She never will be satisfied until she has tried her own strength." I wish, said Margaret, with an inconsequence that is not exclusively feminine, that she were in the way to fall in love and marry by and by. I think that would cure her of some of her notions. I am not sure, but if she went away, to some distant school, into an entirely new life, her thoughts would be diverted. Eli Bolton almost laughed as he regarded his wife, with eyes that never looked at her except fondly, and replied, "'Perhaps thee remembers that thee had notions also before we were married, and before thee became a member of meeting. I think Ruth comes honestly by certain tendencies which thee has hidden under the friend's dress.' Margaret could not say no to this, and while she paused, it was evident that memory was busy with suggestions to shake her present opinions. "'Why not let Ruth try the study for a time?' suggested Eli. "'There is a fair beginning of a woman's medical college in the city. Quite likely she will soon find that she needs first a more general culture, and fall in with, thy wish, that she should see more of the world at some large school.' There really seemed to be nothing else to be done, and Margaret consented at length without approving and it was agreed that ruth in order to spare her fatigue should take lodgings with friends near the college and make a trial in the pursuit of that science to which we all owe our lives and sometimes as by a miracle of escape that day mr bolton brought home a stranger to dinner mr bigler of the great firm of pennybacker bigler and small railroad contractors he was always bringing home somebody who had a scheme to build a road, or open a mine, or plant a swamp with cane to grow paper stock, or found a hospital, or invest in a patent shadbone separator, or start a college somewhere on the frontier, contiguous to a land speculation. The Bolton House was a sort of hotel for this kind of people. They were always coming. Ruth had known them from childhood, and she used to say that her father attracted them as naturally as a sugar hogshead does flies ruth had an idea that a large portion of the world lived by getting the rest of the world into schemes mr bolton never could say no to any of them not even said ruth again to the society for stamping oyster-shells with scripture texts before they were sold at retail mr bigler's plan this time about which he talked loudly with his mouth full all dinner-time was the building of the tunkhannock rattlesnake and young womanstown railroad which would not only be a great highway to the west, but would open to market inexhaustible coal-fields and untold millions of lumber. The plan of operations was very simple. "'We'll buy the lands,' explained he, on long time, backed by the notes of good men, and then mortgage them for money enough to get the road well on, then get the towns on the line to issue their bonds for stock, and sell their bonds for enough to complete the road.' and partly stock it especially if we mortgage each section as we complete it we can then sell the rest of the stock on the prospect of the business of the road through an improved country and also sell the lands at a big advance on the strength of the road all we want continued mr bigler in his frank manner is a few thousand dollars to start the surveys and arrange things in the legislature there is some parties will have to be seen who might make us trouble. "'It will take a good deal of money to start the enterprise,' remarked Mr. Bolton, who knew very well what seeing a Pennsylvania legislature meant, but was too polite to tell Mr. Bigler what he thought of him, while he was his guest. What security would one have for it? Mr. Bigler smiled, a hard kind of smile, and said, "'You'd be inside, Mr. Bolton, and you'd have the first chance in the deal.' This was rather unintelligible to Ruth, who was nevertheless somewhat amused by the study of a type of character she had seen before. At length she interrupted the conversation, by asking, "'You'd sell the stock, I suppose, Mr. Bigler, to anybody who was attracted by the prospectus?' "'Oh, certainly! Serve all alike!' said Mr. Bigler, now noticing Ruth for the first time, and a little puzzled by the serene, intelligent face that was turned towards him. "Well." what would become of the poor people who had been led to put their little money into the speculation when you go out of it and left it half way it would be no more true to say of mr bigler that he was or could be embarrassed than to say that a brass counterfeit dollar piece would change color when refused the question annoyed him a little in mr bolton's presence why yes uh, miss of course in a great enterprise for the benefit of the community there will little things occur, uh, which—which—and, of course, the poor ought to be looked to. I tell my wife that the poor must be looked to. If you can tell who are poor, uh, there's so many impostors. And then there's so many poor in the legislature to be looked after," said the contractor, with a sort of a chuckle. "'Isn't that so, Mr. Bolton?' Eli Bolton replied that he never had much to do with the legislature. "'Yes,' continued this public benefactor. "'An uncommon poor lot this year—uncommon! Consequently, an expensive lot. The fact is, Mr. Bolton, that the price is raised so high on the United States Senator now that it affects the whole market. You can't get any public improvement through on reasonable terms. Simony is what I call it—simony,' repeated Mr. Bigler, as if he had said a good thing mr bigler went on and gave some very interesting details of the intimate connection between railroads and politics and thoroughly entertained himself all dinner-time and as much disgusted ruth who asked no more questions and her father who replied in monosyllables i wish said ruth to her father after the guest had gone that you wouldn't bring home any more such horrid men. Do all men who wear big diamond breastpins flourish their knives at table and use bad grammar and cheat?" Oh, child, thee mustn't be too observing. Mr. Bigler is one of the most important men in the State. Nobody has more influence at Harrisburg. I don't like him any more than thee does, but I'd better lend him a little money than to have his ill-will. father. I think thee'd better have his ill-will than his company. Is it true that he gave money to help build the pretty little church of St. James the less, and that he is one of the vestrymen? "'Yes. He is not such a bad fellow. One of the men in Third Street asked him the other day whether his was a high church or a low church. Bigler said he didn't know. He'd been in it once, and he could touch the ceiling in the side aisle with his hand.' "'I think he's just horrid,' was Ruth's final summary of him after the manner of the swift judgment of women with no consideration of the extenuating circumstances mr bigler had no idea that he had not made a good impression on the whole family he certainly intended to be agreeable margaret agreed with her daughter and though she never said anything to such people she was grateful to ruth for sticking at least one pin into him such was the serenity of the bolton household that a stranger in it would never have suspected there was any opposition to Ruth's going to the medical school. And she went quietly to take her residence in town, and began her attendance of the lectures as if it were the most natural thing in the world. She did not heed, if she heard, the busy and wondering gossip of relations and acquaintances, gossip that has no less currency among the friends than elsewhere, because it is whispered slyly and creeps about in an undertone ruth was absorbed and for the first time in her life thoroughly happy happy in the freedom of her life and in the keen enjoyment of the investigation that broadened its field day by day she was in high spirits when she came home to spend first days the house was full of her gaiety and her merry laugh and the children wished that ruth would never go away again but her mother noticed with a little anxiety the sometimes flushed face, and the sign of an eager spirit in the kindling eyes, and, as well, the serious air of determination and endurance in her face at unguarded moments. The college was a small one, and it sustained itself not without difficulty in this city, which is so conservative, and is yet the origin of so many radical movements. There were not more than a dozen attendants on the lectures altogether so that the enterprise had the air of an experiment, and the fascination of pioneering for those engaged in it. There was one woman physician driving about town in her carriage, attacking the most violent diseases in all quarters with persistent courage, like a modern bellona in her war chariot, who was popularly supposed to gather in fees to the amount ten to twenty thousand dollars a year. Perhaps some of these students looked forward to the near day when they would support such a practice and a husband besides, but it is unknown that any of them ever went further than practice in hospitals and in their own nurseries, and it is feared that some of them were quite as ready as their sisters, in emergencies, to call a man. If Ruth had any exaggerated expectations of a professional life, she kept them to herself, and was known to her fellows of the class simply as a cheerful, sincere student, eager in her investigations, and never impatient at anything, except an insinuation that women had not as much mental capacity for science as men. "'They really say,' said one young Quaker, sprig to another youth of his age, "'that Ruth Bolton is really going to be a sawbones, attends lectures, cuts up bodies, and all that. She's cool enough for a surgeon, anyway.' He spoke feelingly for he had very likely been weighed in Ruth's calm eyes some time, and thoroughly scared by the little laugh that accompanied a puzzling reply to one of his conversational nothings. Such young gentlemen at this time did not come very distinctly into Ruth's horizon, except as amusing circumstances. About the details of her student life, Ruth said very little to her friends. But they had reason to know, afterwards, that it required all her nerve and the almost complete exhaustion of her physical strength to carry her through. She began her anatomical practice upon detached portions of the human frame, which were brought into the demonstrating room, dissecting the eye, the ear, and a small tangle of muscles and nerves an occupation which had not much more savour of death in it than the analysis of a portion of a plant out of which the life went when it was plucked up by the roots custom inures the most sensitive persons to that which is at first most repellent and in the late war we saw the most delicate women who could not at home endure the sight of blood become so used to scenes of carnage that they walked the hospitals and the margins of battlefields amid the poor remnants of torn humanity with as perfect self-possession as if they were strolling in a flower-garden. It happened that Ruth was one evening deep in a line of investigation, which she could not finish or understand without demonstration, and so eager was she in it that it seemed as if she could not wait till the next day. She therefore persuaded a fellow-student, who was reading that evening with her, to go down to the dissecting-room of the college and ascertain what they wanted to know by an hour's work there. Perhaps also Ruth wanted to test her own nerve, and to see whether the power of association was stronger in her mind than her own will. The janitor of the shabby and comfortless old building admitted the girls, not without suspicion, and gave them lighted candles, which they would need, without other remark than, "'There's a new one, miss!' as the girls went up the broad stairs. They climbed to the third story and paused before a door, which they unlocked, and which admitted them into a long apartment, with a row of windows on one side and one at the end. The room was without light, save from the stars and the candles the girls carried, which revealed to them dimly two long and several small tables, a few benches and chairs, a couple of skeletons hanging on the wall, a sink, and cloth-covered heaps of something upon the tables here and there the windows were open and the cool night wind came in strong enough to flutter a white covering now and then and to shake the loose casements but all the sweet odors of the night could not take from the room a faint suggestion of mortality the young ladies paused a moment the room itself was familiar enough but night makes almost any chamber eerie and especially such a room of detention as this where the mortal parts of the unburied might almost be supposed to be visited, on the sighing night winds, by the wandering spirits of their late tenants. Opposite, and at some distance across the roofs of lower buildings, the girls saw a tall edifice, the long upper story of which seemed to be a dancing-hall. The windows of that were also open, and through them they heard the scream of the jiggered and tortured violin, and the pump-pump of the oboe and saw the moving shapes of men and women in quick transition, and heard the prompter's drawl. "'I wonder,' said Ruth, "'what the girls dancing there would think if they saw us, or knew there was such a room as this so near them.' She did not speak very loud, and perhaps unconsciously the girls drew near to each other as they approached the long table in the center of the room. A straight object lay upon it, covered with a sheet. This was doubtless the new one of which the janitor spoke. Ruth advanced, and with a not-very-steady hand lifted the white covering from the upper part of the figure and turned it down. Both girls started. It was a negro. The black face seemed to defy the pallor of death, and asserted an ugly life-likeness that was frightful. Ruth was as pale as the white sheet, and her comrade whispered, "'Come away, Ruth, it is awful. Perhaps it was the wavering light of the candles, perhaps it was only the agony from a death of pain, but the repulsive black face seemed to wear a scowl that said, "'Haven't you yet done with the outcast, persecuted black man, but you must now haul him from his grave, and send even your women to dismember his body? Who is this dead man, one of thousands who died yesterday, and will be dust anon, to protest that science shall not turn his worthless carcass to some account?' Ruth could have had no such thought, for with a pity in her sweet face that for the moment overcame fear and disgust, she reverently replaced the covering, and went away to her own table as her companion did to hers. And there, for an hour, they worked at their several problems without speaking, but not without an awe of the presence there, the new one, and not without an awful sense of life itself, as they heard the pulsations of the music and the light laughter from the dancing-hall. When, at length, they went away and locked the dreadful room behind them and came out into the street where people were passing, they, for the first time, realized, in the relief they felt, what a nervous strain they had been under. End of chapter 15